0: we And welcome to the MGO Blog Roundtable here on Sports Talk 1050. WTK, the ticket online at WTK.com. Ira in the air chair today filling in for Sam. He'll be back on the air with us next week as his vacation wraps up. We're getting we're gearing up for football season. his his last chance to recharge that battery before we really get going? As we are 23 days away until the start of the Michigan football season, we've got Craig Ross, who you heard in the previous segment. Also, Brian Cook. Good morning, Brian. How are you? I'm good. And Seth Fisher. Seth, how are you?
1: Blue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we did talk about getting lou in the hall of fame but that was a conversation for the other day this day yeah. this conversation now and we've moved on from the ala vila conversation although i see a, a lou jersey behind you but we are uh, going to get into michigan hockey back to the michigan hockey talk here as we open up the MGo blog round table Guys, we saw a report in late January with some initial findings, and it took many months later to get to where we are, which was last week, Mel Pearson being removed as Michigan hockey coach, and Brandon Narado on Sunday named interim coach. Brian Cook, we'll start with you on where Michigan hockey stands now, how we got here.
2: Well, I mean, we've we've talked about this before we got here because the athletic director didn't make a decision after getting uh, a report three months ago, and in August, there's not a whole lot of option except just doing the fastest thing possible, which is going the interim route. I thought it could be McCult. Narado seems fine. Everybody in hockey seems to like him. Um, he's worked a lot with high-level NHL guys. He's developed people's skills. He's, he's a guy who I think will be personable and able to recruit as long as that interim tag comes off. And so he's got a season to prove himself, and we'll see how he does. But this is a real big swing in the dark because i mean brandon orato is in his late 30s now and he's never really been a coach like he, he was a skills guy and now now he's now he's the head coach of the university of michigan which is this is the only circumstance in which a guy with his resume would have ever gotten the job
0: Seth?
1: yeah i mean i my guess is that the Dorado choice was because a, everyone likes him. B, he doesn't seem to be like that closely associated with Mel, where, you know, McCall might have been a, you know, p- might have been party to other events that might have happened if they investigate further or whatever. Um, and it, it, it makes sense because, you know, if you got the interim tag on him and it's not working out, but I think the idea was, look, what is, where's the value of Michigan hockey right now? Is The, the recruiting is bonkers. They're the best recruiting co- team in the country. So, I imagine they had some conversations with the guys who are here, the guys who are coming here and saying, like, you know, what are you comfortable with? And since Narada was supposedly a big part of their recruiting efforts, my guess is that's kind of a, you know, kind of like a Marcus Freeman pick, right? We're just, this is a guy who's already established. We trust him already. The recruits trust him. Let's see if he can run a program. Now, he, does not have Mel's resume, where like Mel actually went to his alma mater and won as a head coach. Um, not to mention it was an assistant coach for, what was it, over two decades, right? So like he th- doesn't have that level, but you know it could work. Um, I don't know how much uh being an old hockey coach really is that much value because the game has changed and people are um. Some of the mistakes that Mel was constantly making and even Red was still making are kind of old guy mistakes.
3: Yeah, I like to go back just a bit. Uh, My emails are running about 90% you're a dope and 10%, uh, you know, yeah, you're the voice of reason. And so, but I have to say that the athletic department looks inept in this in that they they were procedurally murky and they needed to be procedurally transparent and and that's the problem here it's not to me that they were sluggish or slow or anything or made a bad choice but that they they procedurally didn't talk about what they were doing and and the athletic department should have have come out when after the Wilmer Hale report came out, and they should have said, "Hey, we got this report. It's it's got some problems, to, uh, or however they want to phrase it, uh, that they've discovered or uh, uh, may exist within the in the hockey program, and so we're going to follow their instructions. and And those instructions are, you know, you need to look at at, at some of these problems." And we need to talk to a, a couple people who didn't really talk to Wilmer Hale, and we need to talk to some of the people Wilmer Hale did talk to, and we're going to run our own uh, uh, culture survey, anonymous culture survey of players and staff. And once we get all that done, uh, we're going to make some decisions about the hockey program, and we'll get back to you in a couple months, and and we'll answer questions in a couple of months you know and but they did none of that they did nothing except have the entire program twisting in the wind uh at least in the as a matter of public perception where uh they didn't renew Mel's contract they just said well he's the coach right now and he became as everyone understood a a sort of coach at will an employee at will and and that made no sense and so the 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 end end of that is that fans anyone paying attention to the to the hockey program is like all up in arms what the hell you know and rightfully so but you know what the hell is going on here he should have been fired in five minutes as soon as they got the wilmer hale report and i don't agree with that but i do agree that that the athletic department has handled it ineptly. They'll never answer questions about this. We know that. Uh, We won't really know what the, what the tensions were between the athletic department and say the Regents. And unless, you know, maybe the Regents or one of them will, will will spill it. I mean, we heard from John Bacon that it was eight zero plus Mary Sue against Ward. Now, whether that's really accurate or not, I don't know. Uh, That seems to be more in the realm of rumor than, than anything else, uh, I'm. Sh- it's maybe it's good rumor, but it's still rumor. Um, so my beef here is that is not so much what the athletic department did, but how they did it and and the lack of of, of uh, procedural uh, clarity. And and it made them look and and still makes them look in this context not very together in in their job descriptions. I'm sorry. Um, uh, but I don't think that substantively anything they did looks that bad. Interestingly enough, and this surprises me when Gary Moeller was fired, there were a lot, there was still a lot of support for Moeller saying, okay, what he did was terrible, but uh, you know, it was excessive, they should have done it. And you still hear that Moeller never should have been fired, you know, and when Tommy Amaker was fired, uh, it was done with a lot of hand and uh, ringing, and understandably but, so. But those guys,
1: even Moeller, to a degree, was fired in part because of performance. Been, like the, I don't, the, the two don't four think loss so.
3: seasons had to be had to have been part of the equation there. I I I don't think that's true. I mean, I I, I think Moeller, absent the event at the at the uh, no no, the din- but it was a... event, it never would have happened. Right, he, but he I, wasn't...
1: I'm I'm saying that he wasn't the top of his sport. Mel was being Mel was fired at the top of his sport. The uh, I want to go back to America yeah, though because the way it looks especially with and I believe the rumor that you know cuz I I think everybody trusts Bacon and the source that he would not put that out there unless it was coming from someone who was yeah, probably I'm sure he one has of good the sources. one of the nine who were voting yeah, that way right I, I agree um so if there if all of the regents are on one side and Ward is on the other side and Ward is the one who had this since may and war was the one who was associate athletic director for hockey uh back when he was here before and so he has this previous connection with mel pearson it really looks like he was trying to keep his friend when he knew he couldn't and that's bad that's that's like that's exactly what he was supposed to not be when he came in right like that that's that was how he was built. This is a guy who's going to do the right thing, not somebody who's going to, you know, try to play old boys network and protect people who were accused of abuse, um, and people who lied to the system and people who lied to our. We Hare we brought Hare was hired by Michigan to get the truth, and now your coach is telling is not telling them the truth. Craig, that is an immediately fireable offense. That the, the, the you don't have to go and know, look at that afterwards. If the, Wilmore that, uh, Hare says that he was lying to them or they he was withholding stuff from them. This is the this is a company that you hired to find out the truth about your organization. If your coach is trying to prevent you from finding out information about your organization, that is not a coach that you can continue to hire. Period. And this it, it I, I'm not saying this is like a fire ward moment, but it's definitely a this was bad. And if another event like this happens, I don't think I'm going to give Ward the benefit of the doubt whereas before I would have.
3: Well to me again I, I don't agree with that um I I do I do believe that this was handled poorly uh I do believe that Ward and the athletic department needed to say here's what we're doing and I do believe if Ward thinks hey we should have kept mel he should say why he, you know the public shouldn't be left in a in, in this uh sort of zugzwang where the uh where one sub one part of the university is saying no we should keep this guy and the other part is saying no we got to dump him and and so uh the interesting thing to me and i guess this uh, where i was going before was i don't hear anybody supporting mel yeah no one you know and 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 that wasn't true with tommy it, it wasn't true with moeller uh and uh oh, tommy's a completely different thing because he was a wonderful person there were issues there but uh you know mostly on you know on the coaching side and the in uh, the outcome side uh, but this this was you know there's always somebody who's willing to support mel or, or, or a coach who's been fired and and in this case there's no i'm not hearing a peep you know so you know so i it, it's it's curious to me and and i i do agree that the way this was handled looks awful. Uh, I, wish I,
0: that, I, I agree with you guys because I wish that the timeline could be explained better.
3: Yeah. Not that
0: we're, we're, due, we're truly do an explanation, but if they received the report at the beginning of May, mm-hmm. and we're told that Ward didn't read it for a month, and that some of the regions didn't read it until a week ago, it wouldn't be something that seemed like it was pretty important? I know that they're hiring a president, and they have other top priorities, and I get that, but this is a pretty public, important thing that's coming. You would assume, and as John said, it took him 90 minutes to read it and do a write-up on it and he wasn't paid to do that, is their job. I just, that three-month window, I'm just, we'll never really get an explanation as my guest, but I would love to know why the three-month window existed. They got it in May. I don't know why it took that long. Even with the president search and all the stuff going on, you can take 90 minutes out of your time to read something that is a very public and seems to be an important thing, but we probably will never get an answer to that. A lot of these timeline questions, we will probably never get actual answers, but we do know that Brandon Arado is the interim coach and we'll see how this season goes forward and we'll see what he needs to do to see if that interim is removed or if they bring somebody else in when they have an opportunity at the end of the season to have a national search. But I know you guys want to talk uh, about things besides just hockey. We'll get to uh, football in a little bit, but yesterday was one of those days that we get a little excited about basketball too, because they released the roster and I have a couple of questions for you guys about the roster. The first one is Is there any way that Doug is really 5'11? And the other question is <laughs> No. Wow, Kobe's up 20 pounds. That's pretty sweet. So you got just the, 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 I know, Seth, you guys do this with football too, but when you look at the roster, those are things that jumped out at me. Kobe Bufkin's up 20 pounds, and there's no way Doug is 5'11.
2: Well, no, no basketball player who's been listed at 5'11 has actually been (laughs) 5'11 in the history of basketball. 5'11 basketball players get listed at, like, at least six foot. I mean, it's like a data gap, right? Like, (laughs) if you're 5'11, you're rounding up.
0: That's right. Uh,
2: I mean, one of the things that jumped out to me is uh, Yusuf Kayat is uh, 195 at six foot nine. So that surprises me cuz he when you watch his videos it's like okay that's a that's a big dude um so i don't know if he's already like refined down to the fact that to the place where he's going to be ready to go, because he is a bit older than an average freshman, but I was thinking that he would come in at 215 or 220, maybe.
0: Just as a comparison for the fans, when Franz was a freshman, he was 6'9", 205, and then he was a little bit heavier than that as a sophomore. Just the look test, so people kind of have an idea to to make the comparison.
2: Yeah, and and like Franz is a skinny dude, and I I was under the impression that Hyatt was thicker, so that's... I don't know exactly what the implications are for that. Probably he's not going to be as much of a rebounder as we were hoping, and maybe he'll be a little bit better at getting to the bucket, but... Uh other than that, yeah, Kobe Buffkin up 20 pounds, that's that's a big deal because, you know, he came in and he had his like Karis freshman year where he's just very slight. You know, can't really use his physical talents to their maximum effect because he's just too small. And 20 pounds is a lot to put on in a year, especially for a basketball player. So hopefully he'll be able to have a breakout season.
3: Yeah, I mean, these heights, I, 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 they've got Joey Baker at 6'7". I think he was listed last year at 6'5 at Duke. So uh, it's a little late for a growth spurt, but I, you know, uh, you, you just don't know. On the other hand, France—they always listed him as shorter than what he was. Uh, I mean, France was probably close to six eleven, and uh, and six ten at least, and they always listed him as six eight. Uh, so uh, you know, heights in uh, on. I'm guessing the weights are close, but uh, heights I don't I don't know about. And you're correct. There's no way Doug McDaniel is five eleven. That's highly unlikely. He's probably closer to five nine than five eleven. Is 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 my guess. But we'll we'll see um, we'll see. But uh, I have a footnote. I asked in the in the notes to the uh, to the basketball roster. It says that Shetter uh, was redshirted, but there's nothing there about Isaiah Barnes. Um, so I, I sent a note over to Tom Wyrot and I said, "I don't think why isn't Barnes a redshirt freshman?" And I, because I looked through Ken Palm and I couldn't see any history of him playing. But uh Tom said that no, he was in two games last year, and so it's unclear what his. You know, they're still working with. I guess the NCAA so or the big. Real team.
0: quick, and you guys can all jump in on. This. Explain to me. You can play in four football games, which mm-hmm. is a third of your season. Yeah, you can't play in two basketball games, which is like a tenth or whatever of your season. Like, how does that make any sense whatsoever?
2: Uh, uh... <laughs> 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 you, you,
1: you, the question is
3: in the answers in the question. It, uh, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Obviously, it doesn't. I I didn't know that you can only play two games because I have seen guys who've like had. On Ken Palm, there are guys who played in, you know, four or five games who got red So I.
2: Yeah, I mean, usually you have to, like, ask for an injury exception, I guess, in, in basketball. That's what they, they did in football a lot before the four games was instituted. Um, yeah, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense.
0: I in there. I, I saw, Craig, I saw your email and I. other people were asking the same question. and I just kind of assumed, but yeah, the fact that you could play four football games, but not two basketball games, totally absurd. Yeah. Craig, since I know you're going to be out there later today, we have a chance to sit with Jawan Howard today. Just in general, some of the things that you're interested in uh, talking to him about.
3: Well, you know, I'm, I'm just at this point, just interested in his general impressions. I don't know how much work uh coaches are allowed with players over the course of the summer i think they're allowed to do some individual workouts uh but i don't think there's been any any formal scrimmaging i know in the old days there used to be a line in the chrysler tunnel there was tape and that was how far the coaches were allowed from the court in, in the in in the summertime and so i used to uh, uh, walk down there at night in the summer and walk over that line and walk down into the court and watch them in informal, informal practices in the summer. And I would see Amaker and he would always say to me, Hey, where's your shoes? Cause you weren't allowed in there except if you were playing. And so I would take my shoes. I would take my, my basketball shoes down there. Now, obviously I wasn't going to play. That would have been a joke. Um, uh, but, uh, but uh so you used i used to be able to go down there and at least you know get some feeling about how various players were progressing but the uh uh not anymore of course and what in uh, what and what the coaches know at this juncture about their about their various players i don't know hyatt of course i don't think has been to Ann Arbor ever uh, and and so he's gonna be a blank slate for the coaching staff and and uh, I don't know. I guess the big question to me, uh, the questions for me are, can Jet play the two? Is Kobe ready to rock and roll at the two? Because that seems to be, to me, to be the, uh, the biggest question uh, that they've got, is what happens at, at that two spot, so...
0: Craig, by the way, I think what they do now, because all the practices are at the PDC, they have like curtains right. to like block the windows, so you can't. Right. If you're in certain parts of the building, you can't you look. Can't in see at yeah. certain certain times of the year. I think they can do that at Schenckler too, if the players are out there at the uh, on the Glick.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's different yeah. than the old days when you could just sort of wander in and you know see what was going on. Go ahead,
1: uh, I, I, I All I want to see is the look on Howard's face when they mention Buffkin. He is the key, right? Like we just talked about the roster because, like, when's the? This has got to be the first time we've ever talked about the basketball roster on this show. Like when the brother, I know that we normally obsess over that, but this is like you know that that's not something we normally look at. But Kobe Bufkin is so key to this season because they have no guards because the two spots such a question because they need his talent to kind of shine through this year. Um, I really want to see how Howard looks when he starts talking about Buffkin, or if it, that's one of the, the top things that he brings up, or if it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Kobe's coming along, you know, like it, it, it he's not going to say anything negative. Right. But that's usually a good sign. Uh, if the coach of a guy who's like important to the, like the crucial guy for the season is, uh, is the first dude mentioned out of the coach's mouth.
0: Gotcha. We have a couple of issues. I think, are you guys also hearing yeah. the issues with Seth, Mike? We're going to have to take yeah, it. We're gonna look at that during the break. So we're going to, We're going to cut the basketball conversation off here because obviously a lot of basketball talk will be coming forward once we hear from Juwan later today and as we inch closer towards that season. But we are 23 days away until the start of the Michigan football season, so we are going to talk Michigan football on the other side of the break, also talking Big Ten TV contracts and more as we continue here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050. WTK, the ticket.
3: What's what's it it doing? It was staticky, hard to understand. It was
0: was like you were buffering, but now you're fine.
3: Now you're okay, but it was a mess. Oh, okay. That was weird thing.
0: it was just a weird thing it was a weird and i didn't know if it was my audio but i, I assume like, that our <laughs> all
1: right i uh well, i mean i i was like you tell
0: yeah we we're trying to i was trying to figure out but it's so hopefully the audio will be uh yeah,
1: yeah i wasn't
2: sure if it was maybe a, a buffering issue or something like that that's the only thing i could think
0: all right so question comes in from mark asking it says "Jed is listed at six eight is he is that is he that tall i mean Brian, he made no, one, no one actually trusts the heights necessarily. I mean, Charles Barkley was listed at 6'6 six, six his entire career in high school. Six, you know, four, in college, yeah. he, was, you know, he was maybe 6'4", right? Like yeah. The only guy that I ever heard tell a story about going the other direction, Christian Leitner told the story when he was at Duke, they measured him, he was 7' foot tall, and he said, I don't want to be considered a 7' footer. list me at 6'11". Hmm. But everybody else, they want the height, right? If you're 6'11", you want to be 7' feet. If you're 5'9", you want to be 5'11". And as Brian said, if you're 5'11", you're like 6'1".
1: What's, what's the biggest lie you ever remember on a roster?
0: Biggest lie? No, whatever
1: whatever. Avery... No. Whatever Avery Queen was listed at. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: I hear it every Monday through Friday around 3.05. Yeah, Jamie
0: Morris. <laughs> <laughs> He's How 5'10", pounds?
2: 10, 180 pounds. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Right.
0: He was never 5'10". We love you, Jamie, but you were never 5'10". Yeah. And he'll admit that. That might be a, that's a pretty good one. That I think
3: Mike Hart was also... Yeah, because he was at,
0: always listed at 5'9", nine, and nine, I he, Mike a fair amount. Um, another one at, uh, in, in a different sport, but Sean Hunwick, because he was only taller than me if he had skates on, and he was listed at like my height or a hair taller than me, but he was only my height or taller than me when he had skates on. Yeah. <laughs> so, love you, Sean, but we know that's true, too. So.
3: <laughs> By the way, I, I think the Narado hire is going to work uh, from people I've been talking to. I think um, this is a really, really good choice. I think he's going to be a coach here for a long time, and uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, the the ultimate choice. I think, I think, as chaotic as it looked, is uh, I think it may end up being a really good outcome. Uh, yeah, it feels so. like I,
1: I mean I I'm sticking with the Marcus Freeman comparison because I don't know how Freeman's going to be.
0: And we are back on the radio and online on the Michigan Insider here on Sports Talk 10, (sighs) WTK, to take it online at WTK.com. We will get uh, Seth back with us momentarily. We're having some issues with his audio, but we are going to jump into our football conversation. We've got Craig Ross, We've got Brian Cook. And let's jump right in, guys, 23 days away. And so everyone every day wants to know who's going to be the starting quarterback. What do you think? Do we know anything different other than some videos here or there? Do we know a whole lot different? That we did a few weeks ago. Have your thoughts changed at all about the starting quarterback position now that we're a week and change into fall camp, Brian Cook?
2: No, I mean, that's a 50-50 competition like it was always going to be, and I'd be very surprised if it's not Cade McNamara taking the first snap. Now, what that means for the course of the season is going to depend on how McNamara and McCarthy play, I think, in the first three games, which are all gimmies. Like I guess you're going to see a lot of rotation. You're going to see a lot of throws, I think, just so that there's some baseline of performance that they can make a decision with because it is one of the closer quarterback battles I can recall because there hasn't really been a whole lot of intrigue about who, who the starting quarterback is going to be for a long time. So This is uh, unusual. This is probably the first time since Brady and Henson where there was like not really uh, a clear starter.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, the Brady Henson thing is interesting because obviously Brady is one of the greatest players in the history of of football. Um, But Henson was really, really good. And a lot of people who weren't around can't appreciate or don't appreciate, they can't appreciate how good Drew Henson was and how talented he was. And uh, if you look at, the game he played, I think the after Brady was gone against Purdue and drew Brees, It's a, it's a remarkable game of quarterbacking, uh, two of the highest level, highest levels of quarterback play I've ever seen in, in, in one game. And, uh, and I don't think the Brady Henson thing worked out very well for us. And I, and I really can't recall, uh, many times when there's been this quote quarterback controversy that it's really worked out. And, and so that, that, that I find a little bit troublesome to me now, I guess 1961 uh, with the San Francisco 49ers with red Hickey, when he decided to go back to the single wing and had two court, he had a running quarterback and a throwing quarterback. It actually worked a little bit for a short period of time, but I don't, I don't, I can't recall this working, and so I don't – I'm skeptical that this can work out. So, I, I mean, and, and won't be, one, a distraction, and two, not particularly great for the team. All
1: right. Do my audio sound okay, guys? You, you sound, sound
3: great. great. Okay, good. Um,
1: I, I kind of think it's almost the reverse of 1999 because mm-hmm. in 99, Carr said, uh, all right, we're going to – play one guy in the first quarter, play one guy in the second uh-huh. quarter, and then play the hot hand for the second half. Um, that is not what is going on right here. Harbaugh has made it clear that McNamara is his starter, and McNamara is going to start the first game, and McNamara is entering camp. Now he always says there's always competition. Well, there's always competition. But I don't think Harbaugh could be any clearer that McNamara is his starter and will remain his starter until he like loses the job. Uh, they're going to use McCarthy. They're going to have packages for McCarthy, but they're not approaching it the way that they approach 99 at all. They're approaching it from McNamara's our number one quarterback right now. J.J. McCarthy is challenging him. And I keep going back to this. They're a team and these guys, uh, this is where the coaches are and this is where the players are and this is where they're focused. The fans are the ones who are super focused on like, oh my God, which guy's g- jersey do I get, right? Like, who mm-hmm. do I get super excited about? But If you don't have two quarterbacks, you're Penn State last year. Look what happened to them because they didn't have a second quarterback, right? This is a team, and both of these guys know that what they're doing is going to help the team. Now, I'm sure both of them want to be the starter, and I'm sure it matters a lot to Cade. And if he loses his job to J.J., I'm guessing McNamara is not going to want to stick around and be his backup forever. That's just, you know, the way things are. But for right now, that's what they're doing. Cade, right now, is the starter. JJ is the backup. JJ is competing to try to overtake Cade. They're both going to be on the field because there's going to be packages for JJ, and they're both contributing to the team, and both have to be ready because very few teams make it through the season without having to play their backup quarterback in meaningful downs.
0: That's a really important part. You need your backup quarterback. You need two quarterbacks, if not three. Or Ohio State one year approved, was it four? I mean, some years you need it. Or Maryland's shown you need like eight. So <laughs> hopefully we don't go through one of those communities. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I hope that's right. Um, and, but I, I'm still a little, I'm, I'm s- at least slightly skeptical, maybe more than slightly skeptical that, the, that this can really work that well when you've got, but even when you you do need a backup quarterback, but usually it's fairly clear that the backup quarterback is the backup quarterback. Here, I mean, it may be Seth is a hundred percent on uh, spot on here that it's just a fan perception and not a program perception. Uh, but I think the fan percep- perception is at eh, JJ should really be the quarterback. Uh, and I, from people who I've talked to, that's that's the fan perception. Uh, from Harbaugh's perception is no, this is a quote meritocracy, and whoever's playing the best is 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 going to be our starter i ha- i have a hunch in practical matters it's gonna look a little chaotic but i could be wrong i hope i am we
0: assume the starting point in the split of snaps is kind of like what we saw last year but that's the starting point and then as the All season right. progresses i assume the gap would only get narrower and then at some point maybe jj overtakes which is the fan perspective that he's going to do that at some point in time but i think you're right i think you're on it uh seth where there are a lot of things I've had many conversations with Jim and other people where you ask a question, he looks at me and he like, where'd that question come from? And I tell him and he goes, yeah, that's just a fan thing, a media thing. That's mm-hmm. that has nothing It never actually infiltrates the building. And so there are a lot of fan narratives and media narratives that we ask questions and things we think are true or would happen because we think it would happen right in our mind. But they don't actually happen in the minds of the alpha males within the facility,
1: right? I think the key disconnect is how hard it is to play quarterback, especially at, in this system at Michigan, right? They there's a ton of pre-snap reads. Michigan is a, that that's always been Harbaugh's system with his quarterbacks. Is you have to know exactly what it is, what you what you're looking at, and it takes a while to get good at that. So you know, Tavita Pritchett, was starting over. You know, one of the greatest quarterbacks in uh, it was was starting over Andrew Luck right? Like one of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history. And that guy couldn't start when he was a true freshman and he was still working his way up as a redshirt freshman. It takes some time to get good at that.
0: No doubt about it. And so we're going to continue to follow this along. They're not going to give us an answer as to who wins the battle, obviously (laughs) now and probably the next 23 days, because other, unless it's just Cade, because we know, you know, it's the same. It's the status quo of who is getting the first snaps like it was all last season, but all we get right now, we get a, a highlight here and a highlight there, and we get a you know a couple of pictures here and a couple of pictures there. Otherwise, we get coach speak and player speak, and you have to kind of parse words and figure out like what out of that you want to really pull out of it. So the first one is, when you guys saw that JJ to uh, Roman Wilson touchdown pass in practice, what were your uh, thoughts when you saw that one, uh, Seth?
1: Uh, Samer still lost his outside leverage. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're talking about at cornerback, and they're like, okay, he's 8% cornerback right now, and he's, you know, Samer still is really catching on, and, you know, whenever you have a position switch starter, I'm sorry, I love Roman Wilson, and I, like, it was a great catch, but, like, I, those, those are out there because they want to show you what, you know, the the highlight, and then you try to pick something out that they're not trying to show you. What they're not trying to show you is that Samer still was supposed to maintain outside leverage that whole route, and, and lost. Roman Wilson, understandable. This happens to people, right? But uh, Roman Wilson has lost guys way more talented than Mike Yzamir still. But if Michigan's talking up a position switch guy, that makes you nervous for that position. That's just always been one of our tells, right? That one of our spring and fall practice. Um, what, what 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 do you like to call it? the the entrails, right? Like that, that's that's what we're, we're yeah. So we're we're looking at that kind of thing and saying okay. Did Samer still mess it up really badly? No. Like, how did he look in coverage? Eh, right? But that's one of the concerns when they're talking about, like, you know, who's going to be starting. Where are the rest of the guys if someone who just switched over from offense is the guy that they're talking about most at that position?
0: All right. So since you answered that question that way, what were your thoughts when you saw the DJ Turner pass breakup on the Ronnie Bell pass, the pass to Ronnie Bell? And that was the other video they showed out there to kind of get our, wet our whistle a little bit.
1: DJ Turner is awesome. I'm a huge DJ Turner stand. DJ Turner is great. <laughs> Just fit my narrative, please.
0: <laughs> there you go. Right. That, and that, but isn't that part of it, right? You see pictures. We saw the Ronnie Bell was like a, a, a catch in four pictures yesterday. They showed you're going to pull out of that what you want, right? Well, Cause that's if, all you're, if you're a fan snapshots.
1: watching, if they're, if they're going to feed you some sort of video of a receiver slash cornerback event, right? Receiver, what you want to see is like, you know, an Odell Beckham-style catch where the coverage was perfect and the receiver brought it down because only this man could, could do it. Otherwise, you kind of just want to see the cornerback knock it down because it's if you're throwing to a guy in single coverage, it's not a bad throw. We want to see them take those shots, right? Um, and if the cornerback can keep up with someone who's really fast and then knock the ball down, good. That's Our cornerback's doing his job and he can handle these one-on-one situations. That's kind of the, ult- the the preferable result, I think, than the cornerback being on the wrong side of the, the receiver and not knowing where he is and then the receiver coming down with it.
0: Brian, you take anything out of those videos?
1: I mean, no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, that's 15 seconds, right? Like, <laughs> I can't really determine anything except, like, there was a catch made in practice. And, I mean... Seth should know that he's not the only one on the DJ Turner bandwagon. I think <laughs> Pro Football Focus has him as a third-team All-American in the preseason, so they graded him very highly, and they think he's going to be a dude. And then he showed up on the Freaks list. Feldman, Bruce Feldman released his yeah. Freaks list, and Mozzie Smith's number one, but uh, DJ Turner is I think, 18th.
3: So Did, go um, ahead. I, I was just a question for you guys. Did you expect that? I mean, was that uh, – that, that uh Mozzie Smith would be number one, I think, on the on the freaks list. I mean, it's sort of well, I was
0: when surprised. I saw the video of him hopping up those stairs, yeah. maybe a little bit more.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's clear that
2: Michigan gives Feldman a lot for these posts. Huh. So there's there's videos embedded in the posts that aren't on YouTube that he was directly given by Michigan. The numbers that he gets are extensive. So you know the the program isn't super open but for bruce feldman's freaks article they're like here and i think that that (laughs) helps michigan's uh overall standing in the articles because aiden Hutchinson was number two last year and the year before that quitty pay was number one so those are two first round picks so it's not like you know feldman's getting things wrong Uh, so i I think that there's some legitimacy legitimacy to that um and i mean the the one the section on Welshoff where he's down to two sixty-eight, he's listed as an edge. I mean, we're all wondering where that pass rush is gonna come from. And Welshoff's a guy who uh has flashed a little bit as a defensive tackle, but if he's down to two sixty-eight and he's he's got this athleticism, you know, that might be one of your better bets for a guy who's gonna come off the edge. And Go ahead. Yeah, well,
0: he uses a transition to the defense, but Kenneth Grant was the fourth Michigan player on that list, and he was in the 40s. I don't remember exactly the number, but a true freshman. It just gives you an idea that they have some, uh, some athleticism at tackle moving in the future. But you brought the defense. We're talking about the defense. Jim Harbaugh talked about the quote-unquote no-name defense having a chance to be better than the defense last year. You brought up where is the edge rushing coming from. Mike Morris talked about... He can play from edge to nose, which really means he can play from edge to edge and play any spot along the defensive front. Now it's up to 292, almost maybe too big for edge. But what do you think about that comment about no-name defense maybe potentially being better than last year? I like the way they look up the middle. I really like Mozzie. I like Junior Colson, But they've got to find that pass rush and all that other kind of stuff that maybe we're not so sure. DJ Turner, we think, is a guy, but they still have some holes to fill too.
2: Well, if they're, if they're better than they were last year, the no-name defense isn't going to be a no-name defense for long. So I, 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 there was some quote about how the edges in particular, they're looking to be close to as good as they were last year or even equal, which I contend is the most fall practice quote of all time.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, I mean, you, you're coming <laughs> off what I, I think is indisputable as the best set of defensive ends Michigan has ever had. You know, you had a a guy go second overall, and you had a guy go in the second round because he tore his Achilles, who would have been a mid-first-round pick otherwise. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of Michigan football, and uh, I don't think that's going to happen again. Now, I think they can make up for it other places. They're going to have a lot more experience in the linebacker core, and hopefully you can get some of these defensive tackles stepping up and becoming impact players, which they were not last year. So if Mazze Smith can cash in that athleticism, Chris Jenkins is up to 290 as well. Like I, I think that Michigan's going to need to push the pocket from the interior a lot more in terms of pass rush and just get someone on that interior. Who's at that Ryan Glasgow level. It's not going to be Moe Hurst, but they, they need a guy in there to be a dude.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board for that. I mean, I think it's ridiculous and, and, pushing 0% chance that the edge rush is going to look anything like last year's edge rush. That just isn't possible. This last year was the best uh, edge rushing Michigan has ever seen. And, and I go back a long, long time in Michigan football and, and this, and this was at, at the apex and it isn't happening again, not that they won't be good, you know, at those positions, I think there's a there's a legitimate chance they'll be good at those positions, but it's it's not going to be the I, same. And so, go totally, ahead. I don't even you know him. if
1: they'll be good. It, 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 I mean, the the Mike Morris side, mm-hmm. I'm fine with. And if you watch a lot of Ravens football, they had literally Chris mm-hmm. Wormley there, which is exactly what Morris is going to look like, right? That side, I think, is fine. The other, if it looks side, like Chris
3: Wormley is great. Yeah.
1: yeah, the other side. I mean, they're they're running out. Upshaw is the number one right now, and mm-hmm. uh, Jalen Harrell. I like Harrell as a player, but he can't pass rush. He just gets stuck on his guy and, de- and doesn't get around him. Unless he's like completely changed his body and his bend, I mean that you're not going to get Ojabo-style pass rush, and Michigan's not going to be that team anymore. Last year, they really just built the whole thing out of, look, Hutchinson's on this side, Ojabo's on this side, good luck. right? And it's not the, the construction of the defense. What they're probably going to do is a lot more of that Raven stuff that we were talking about. The no-name quote defense is really just the amoeba defense, right? It's the the pass rush is not one guy beating one guy. It's you have a certain timer because Mozzie Smith's only going to take so long to push his way into the middle of the pocket, and Chris Jenkins as well. That pocket's just going to collapse on you, and in that short of time, you have to find where they left the hole because Jalen Harold's dropping into coverage like a linebacker because he moves like a linebacker. So that hole's not there. Okay, where did he come from? You look over there. Well, the nickel moved into that hole. Okay, where, where'd the cornerback go? By the time you try to figure out where you're supposed to go with the ball, the pass rush has already collapsed on you. And this in the NFL, the Ravens had like a very big difference between how good they were against young quarterbacks versus old quarterbacks. Like every time they faced Drew Brees, they just got shredded. But you don't have Drew Brees in college. You have college quarterbacks. And I think that that can be functional um, as long as they can run it well. If The problem is with that is you're asking linebackers to do a lot of things. And they, both linebackers were very young last year. Colson and Hill Green are going to have to take big steps forward. You're talking about Michael Barrett as a possible starter. That kind of makes me nervous. So that's where you're going to get it. I don't really expect pass rushers to win one-on-one except for by pushing.
3: One
0: of the things I had a conversation with—I had multiple conversations when I hosted Ron English's show. We were talking—we were talking about how you build a defense. And last year they built the defense from the outside in, right? The edge rushers. Now, from our perspective, we didn't actually know Ojabo would be Ojabo at this time last year, right? Maybe the coaches knew something. Upshaw was ahead of him this
1: time last year, right? Uh So
0: I think that part of these conversations. Also, we have to remember that some of the names do emerge, right? And guys get better. That yeah, but they don't have anyone like
1: we knew Ojabo was the X factor.
0: So that's the question. So last year it was Aiden. It was Dax, and then who? And we asked that kind of question. So what's the starting point this year? For DJ just, Turner, You just start with DJ Turner and other guys. Like what's the starting point? You talk about who leads this defense. Last year, we knew it was Aiden and Dax Hill, and then the list at this time last year. So at this time this year, what's that list look, look like for you?
2: I mean, I think DJ Turner's one of those guys, and then you need someone to step up. It can be Colson. It can be Mike Morris. It can be one of the defensive tackles. Um, it's, it is true that there's not like, a guy who you're like, that guy is the guy. And he's likely to blow up. So, I mean, honestly, uh, freshman and Derek Moore is probably a guy who I might be looking at next year to have that progression. But it's tough to ask a true freshman defensive lineman to have a big impact. So, yeah, I think they're going to have to piece some, some things together and wait for guys to emerge midway through the season.
3: Um, and Harbaugh had made some comment about a freshman being God's gift to football. You have any guess on who that might be? Any of you guys?
1: Uh, there's too many I mean,
3: freshmen. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was wondering if it was Grant. I mean, uh, that's, that's a guy who I think
2: might be it because they obviously talked him up to, to Feldman
3: a lot. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the one, the the thing that's most devastating to an offense is a defense that can get an interior pass rush. Interior pass rushes are rare. Uh, that's why Mo Hurst was such, uh, an unusual player here. And if you can get more pressure from the interior of your defensive line, uh, well then maybe the defense will look as good as, as it did last year. Um, but that's something you don't see many teams able to do but if if mozzie is the the number one athletic freak in the country and if Kenneth grand is is uh, uh God's gift to football and and we th- I mean I'm high on uh, Jenkins I think he'll be a better player than chris than Hinton um you know I, maybe they can they can make up for it at the point of attack um I don't know. They they are more athletic than they were
1: last year. I mean, Matt uh, Chris Hinton was uh, a highly ranked guy, but he wasn't actually that athletic. Like there was a there was a guy who kind of had to go straight forward, and because of that, they always had to use the other tackle to kind of hang out by the line of scrimmage, and it was fine because you had Hutchinson; and he was going to blast into the backfield anyway. But uh, Mazi Smith, I we have seen him use a push pull, and he's not like he he's more of a run plugger, not like on Brian Monet level, but he's not necessarily like a big-time pass rusher. Jenkins kind of looks like he is, and they started using him a lot more in that, and he was stealing a lot of snaps away from Donovan Jeter because Jeter was another one of those guys who wasn't really getting into the backfield, or if he did, he was coming like a, you know, 400-pound freight train. Like, <laughs> he might get to the quarterback. He also might just completely run by him. And those they've gotten more athletic at the defensive tackle position, but they've also gotten way younger. You got Mozzie Smith. You got Cam Good, the transfer. We don't haven't heard anything about him. And then everybody else is either a freshman or a redshirt freshman right now.
3: Well, Mason Graham w- looked real really good in the spring game. I mean, he but he's a true um, freshman.
1: True freshman tackles. Like, I know. Oh, he's bad. I he's know.
3: One thing we know, I, right? I know. <laughs> but he was playing against guys who could play, and and and, uh, and he and he was tough to handle too. So you know, I don't want to be too optimistic. Uh, because you can't lose guys like Ojabo and Hutchinson and, and assume that you can just find them because you can't. Uh, so I, I agree with both of you that it's going to have to be done in different ways, but I don't think the different ways are necessarily impossible as applied to what they have.
1: I think Colson and Barrett are probably their best two pass rushers, and they're going to involve those guys a lot in the pass rush. Colson was magnificent at it. He's, I mean, that I would if we had the dudes, I would turn him into a Micah Parsons and just kinda have him be that guy who's blitzing half the time. We don't really have the dudes at linebacker to, you know, to move him out of there. Uh and then Nikai Hill Green is actually pretty good at it too. He's not at that level, but you know, you lose Josh Ross, who was a great blitzer and not really good at the other parts of the linebacker. So I think that's kind of almost like a uh, an equal thing. But they didn't get to involve him very much because your pass rush was just a job on Hutchinson. I swear, what we're gonna see the most is just more linebackers blitzing, and you know Jalen Harrell. It's a guy who can drop back a bit and do those things. I think T.J. Guy is someone that they've started to talk about a little bit too. He's another guy in that vein who um, who drops back. And I know we were talking about roster weights. One thing I didn't mention earlier, even on my roster weights article, was that everyone projected to play that kind of. Outside linebacker slash end position, not the heavy side, not the Mike Moore side, but the the hybrid side, all those guys lost weight over the offseason. So you have Harrell, you have TJ Guy, there are a couple other, um, I think Braden McGregor is another one. Those guys uh, expected to play that position uh, are preparing to play linebacker just as much as they're preparing to play defensive end. And when they drop back, it's not going to be like when Hutchinson dropped into a zone. It's just like, you know, you cover a short little spot in the flat and we, we hope we don't get Jackson Smith and Najiba against you. It's going to be, you know, covering a real linebacker zone and carrying the guy probably down the seam a little ways to open up other opportunities for other guys. And having that versatility is something that they didn't really use much last year. And hopefully that's how they kind of create a pass rush out of the aggregate.
0: You guys mentioned Junior Colson. We spent a lot of time talking about him. You also mentioned Mike Barrett. Spent a lot of time talking about those guys this week because today we're 23 days away. Mike Barrett, 23. A few days ago, we were Junior Colson's number. Junior Colson has flashed things, right? This is kind of like going into sophomore year of Devin Bush where he flashed things as a freshman, and now we're expecting because the expectations for Junior Colson, who's taller than Devin Bush, was I'm not even making... Don't. Devin but,
1: Bush figured things out really fast. Very quickly, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say more Cam grown than, than Devin Bush.
0: But, but another guy that had that speed and he was a little taller, but here we are as a sophomore. And there was pretty high expectations on Junior Colson to kind of anchor the middle of that defense. But it's a pretty, you mentioned Josh Ross leading. That's a very big role that has been lost. We talk so much about Aiden, high draft pick, Dax Hill, high draft pick. We talk, but Josh Ross, as the veteran in the middle, is also a really important position. And they talked a lot about... Uh, who, some of the defensive guys, and even Scumic, I think, was answering this question. There' A lot of verbalizing on defense, communication from the front to the middle and the back and vice versa almost seems like it's replacing the leadership that Josh Ross had in the middle because he was getting everybody lined up.
3: Well, I can say last year in the Rutgers game when he went down, uh, it all of a sudden, uh, the defense looked lost and Rutgers was able to gash us with Uh, read options over and over when linebackers are running the wrong way uh but yeah so i don't want to minimize the importance of a guy like that who uh understood the defense it's it's highly consequential but i'm hoping that this year's you know we've got more those the young guys have grown up a bit and and that problem won't won't exist.
0: And Jim's also highlighted there's an inordinate amount of fourth, fifth, and sixth year guys on the team, which in theory helps some of these leadership things because you're a, there are a lot of young guys you talked about, and a lot of young guys you can be counted on, but there are veterans on the team too, which is actually almost unique for Michigan.
3: Do you see the do you, Brian and Seth do you see the transition to Jesse Minner being consequential at all? Or is that is this just like uh, a continuation of them of Mike McConnell? I mean, he's from the same
2: coaching tree. I I assume that it's going to look pretty similar to what it was last year. I mean, the thing is, is like it's hard to project any of this stuff because nobody's going to tell you what they're doing tactically before the season happens.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: and they're not going to tell you tactically through the first three games either, probably.
1: My only concern is that maybe McDonald really was the super whiz kid who, like, you know, knew exactly what play to call at the right time, but. Like Brian mentions, there, there's, it's not, it's hard to find a transition that can go more smoothly. And had we been told we were getting Minter last year instead of McDonald, I think we would have been less nervous than we were last year. Because Minter's actually been a defensive coordinator. He was a coor- he was defensive coordinator of that Georgia State team that like put a super scare into Wisconsin. If you remember that, I don't know if anyone else remembers Wisconsin almost losing to to a team that had just moved up to FBS, but. Um, that was Minter's defense. Now his dad was still coaching with him there, and that's the other concern with Minter is that McDonald was like a a super nerd. McDonald was a guy who hung around Kirby Smart, uh, not Kirby Smart, um, the Georgia coach before him, Mark Rick, Mark, Mark Rick. He hung around Mark Rick's program until Rick like finally gave him a job, and like this, he was just like like he had to prove himself again at every single level because he was not, you know, the football player who was a football guy. He was the Student at Georgia who was super into football, and they like just kept on having to get move him up and move him up. Uh, Minter is definitely a football guy. His dad was the uh, defensive coordinator under Lou Holtz. Then he was the head coach of Cincinnati. The first job that Minter got was at Cincinnati, not under his dad, but you know they they definitely knew the name Minter there. So it it was a it's it's a different path. Which doesn't, sometimes I kind of want to have That guy who has to prove himself every single Level, not the guy who just, you know He knows the Harbaugh's. Uh But if you were on that Raven staff and you were A young guy on that Raven staff, you were Part of the gang, so there's It's not saying that he has to Be that football guy, right, he could Minter is probably um, You know, of the same mind as Mike McDonald, uh, except for He's actually coached defenses before And Mike McDonald had not <laughs>
0: All right, guys. Great stuff, as always, with our friends from the MGO Blog Roundtable. Thanks to them for joining us. Thanks to Cody Stevenhagen for talking Tigers early. Wendy from the top, uh, for the top dog of the week from Humane Society of Huron Valley. Thanks to Miz for uh, helping me out once again. He'll be back with me tomorrow for our final edition of the show this week. Sam will be back in the air chair next week. We'll be talking more Michigan football and more tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTKA, Ann Arbor, Accumulus Station.